if I have, you know, a camera and it, it takes an immediate sort of, you know, hash of the image or whatever, maybe it immediately shoots that off to a blockchain. Maybe there's finally a real use for, for blockchain. And I have this kind of authenticated trail of the fact that this was a legitimate image that was sort of taken. That might become necessary for courts and things like that later on. I think watermarking of real content can actually work pretty well, but that it's back-a-mole trying to authenticate you know, fake content. I just don't think that it's going to work. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Join host Sanjay Puri as he explores the dynamic and developing world of artificial intelligence governance. Each episode features deep dives with global leaders at the forefront of regulating AI responsibly tackling the challenges using AI can bring about head-on and enabling balance without hindering innovation. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Artificial intelligence, AI, stands at the forefront of technological evolution, with experts predicting that it could add trillions of dollars to our GDP, but it could also negatively impact our workforce and national security. So how do we regulate it without stifling innovation? Our podcast features insights from various perspectives. We've had industry leaders, government officials, advocacy group heads. Together, they address pivotal questions that are needed to create practical legislation. I'm very excited to have Daniel Jeffries with us today. He's the managing director of the AI Infrastructure Alliance and the CEO of Kentaurus. I invited him on this show as we want to have many different voices so that we can create practical legislation that really encompasses all of it. Welcome, Daniel, to the Regulating AI podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Daniel, President Biden announced a sweeping executive order on October 30th. Can you just give us some quick thoughts on the CEO that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some okay things in there, and I think there's some stuff that makes no sense. You know, I think it, things like watermarking doesn't really make any sense. Basically, it's mostly impossible to do that with text anyway. OpenAI has already given up on it, and a lot of other people have too. And really, we have to ask ourselves if that even makes reasonable sense to do. Like, if I, you know, write an essay and I have the AI corrected, do I need to flag that? Like, if I keep 20% of it, is that AI written? You know, why does it need to be flagged anyway? And I don't think these kinds of things actually stop the people you want them to stop. I mean, somebody's going to use and train up their own model or use their own, you know, version to do something. It doesn't really doesn't really make a difference. But I do think watermarking of actual authentic content would be really cool. Like if we could get it right as the camera goes off, maybe it's taking a blockchain snapshot of something. That would be that's feasible. I think that's reasonable, and I think we'll probably need that coming forward in the future. There's other things in there that seem to be written a lot by the kind of sort of effective altruist crowd and, and lobbyists in there about the size of models, which I think is incredibly misguided. And I don't think that it gets us anywhere. You know, I have a friend who just took $30 million and they're training up small models forms. So right away, the, you know, if that's successful and you have these smart models that never reach that competing threshold, then the legislation was pointless. And I think that's the challenge with kind of doing these things. I think we need to focus back on putting the responsibility on the individual. That's really my biggest stance on these things. It's like, you know, we don't take Photoshop off the market or blame Adobe because you put a celebrity head on a naked body. And we don't take the kitchen knives off the off the market because somebody stabs somebody. Actually, there are some lawmakers who are trying to make sure that Adobe becomes responsible for that. There's some legislation that does that. But just, you know, you mentioned a lot of points in there, and I'll come back to that. But what do you see as the biggest risk from artificial intelligence that need to be regulated? 
the ones that nobody's addressing and that all the governments are carving out exceptions for, which is lethal autonomous weapons and mass surveillance. So if you notice that all of the acts that are out there, like basically what they're talking about is regulating civilian AI, and there's this huge kind of you know, push where everybody's terrified, right? You know, because they read too much sci-fi. As a sci-fi writer, I understand. I love it. But, you know, you just watch Terminator and make policy. So when I look at this thing, all of them have exceptions. The Biden order has an exception for it. The EUAI Act has an exemption for it. It means you can use it for mass surveillance. It means you can use it for pl- predictive policing. It means you can use it for lethal autonomous weapons. So I don't know why we're not talking about real actual harms, like physical harms, people dying or being injured. And when I do think that that's a litmus test, in other words, when people use this word harms, they use it in a very loose way that I can't stand, right? It's like, if you're personally offended by something, that's not harm. You're just offended by it. But if you're maimed or injured, or if you're killed, that's actual harm. If you can't buy a house because of the color of your skin, that's actual harm, okay? But you know, if, if an LLM says something I don't like, that's not harm, even if you don't like it. I'm sorry, but that's, that's not democracy. So when I look at these things, I think actual harms were in the use cases there. If it's driving a car, it could kill somebody. It should be held to a higher standard. If it's being used in a medical system to make a diagnostic, it's got to be held to a higher standard. But the rest of these things, I think, are kind of, you know, weirdly imposed on things. So I do think that we have to focus on those things and focus on the ones that are being exempted as a matter of course, which are actually the most dangerous use cases. So, I mean, you're saying things, you know, like you talked about autonomous weapons, you talked about cars, you also talked about mass surveillance. As you know, national security is a subject that's a little tricky and, you know, you can't get into that. That's kind of an exempt thing because we, we are living in a very challenging time. So let me ask you this. I mean, you talked about if LLM says something that's not so if the LLM says something and its actual harm is caused, who should be liable? Should it be the developer, the deployer, the user? Where do you think the liability lies? So if an LLM says something that, that causes actual harm, what does that actually mean? Like what is the actual harm being caused? Can you give me an example? It could be any of those things that kind of had some biases built in there in terms of hiring or anything like that, that somebody has built on top of an LLM, a hiring algorithm? If somebody builds it on top of the LLM, then I guess that the person who built that algorithm, you know, who built that software or whatever is going to be responsible for the thing, right? Uh, or people deploying that software. But again, I think, I, I, you know, you kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, maybe people want to put legislation in place to make sure Adobe's responsible if, you know, if you... Well, that's if one legislation. We have 100 pieces yeah. of legislation. I'm just saying that's one yeah. piece of legislation that's out there. I find this to be really tricky to kind of like assign, you know, assign harm or assign blame for a lot of these things okay. to the manufacturer, unless there's gross negligence. Okay. So when I look at like, when you hit somebody with a car, guess who's to blame? You're, you're responsible. You hit them, right? The car manufacturer is not to blame. If, if their brakes that they're installing were faulty, that could be a problem. Right, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're liable. Other than they maybe they need to go back and look at the procedures. If they installed those brakes through gross negligence, right? They were like they deliberately knew that they were putting in faulty brakes. They deliberately cut, you know, the processes or whatever to do that. Then then they can face harm. And I think that's the way that these things we have a long precedence for these kind of, right in history. And, and to me, I mean, do, I don't know why we need to reinvent the wheel or why we're even sort of talking about it. Let, let the blame fall on the individual or how it's deployed. You know. So, Daniel, and 
you talked about this a lot. The AI technology is constantly evolving. You know, we we got this LLM we into multimodality. We are into agents. People are talking about AGI. How does legislation? Because a year from now, I assure you, you'll be on this show and we'll be talking about some other evolution of AI. How do lawmakers? How does legislation regulation keep pace with this incredible pace of change that's happening in AI? You know, I there's kind of two schools of thought in this. There's kind of the precautionary principle, right? And the kind of traditional way of, of making laws, which was like proving actual harm. I tend to fall very strongly in the favor of the proving actual harm. I tend to think that when people take the precautionary principle, they tend to be really bad at predicting the future and really bad at predicting what could actually go wrong, and they tend to miss things. So there's a good example of like OpenAI, for instance, when they were first trying to test how their models could be used poorly, they became obsessed internally with it being used for political misinformation. And they spent all this time and money trying to figure out a solution to this problem. Meanwhile, when it was released, it was mostly just used for spam and there wasn't a single case of like political manipulation. So they wasted a lot of time trying to predict the problem and miss the actual. So I believe you have to wait for things to happen in the real world. And then you have to react to those things. And that's how we've traditionally done things outside of the last maybe 35 years, right? Where we said like, there's an actual harm that's happening here. Someone is poisoning the river. Okay, we need to stop the red river from being poisoned. And we need to make sure that people are poisoning the river and not allowed to do that anymore, right? And I think that's how you deal with real problems. They have to happen in the real world. That's the way I think it has to work. Daniel, I'll tell you the challenge with, I understand what you're saying. The challenge with it has been this whole social media issue that happened. We didn't get legislation. We kind of, people would argue we were sleeping at the wheel. And we've seen some of the consequences. One of the consequences, and you talk about this, and I want your view is, that there has been a semi-monopoly within a few companies towards this. And you you talk a lot about this. What are your thoughts in terms, and one of the things that we try to do on this show is so bring many different voices like you. We are bringing so advocacy groups. We are bringing small business owners because all those voices are important because we just can't have three, four, five companies. You know, innovation is great. We, we are all for innovation entrepreneurship. What are your thoughts on regulatory capture or monopoly, et cetera? Well, I mean, I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the pressure that's being applied by groups that are worried about AI turning us into paperclips and other, other such nonsense are leading directly to regulatory capture, whether they know it or not. And, you know, when you start talking uh, why about- Why is that? Explain that to our audience in simpler terms. So if, if I talk about, if I need to go to the government to get a license to create a model, like very few companies are going to be able to do with that. If I go ahead and I put like a bunch of additional bureaucratic kind of rule sets on the model manufacturer for harm, they could be nebulous and they could face hundreds or thousands of court cases. Very few companies are going to build these models, which is, I think, exactly what they want. They don't actually want to control it. They don't want to slow it down because they believe in the end of the world, like many cults before them. Right. So when I look at these kind of things, that that worries me is that we're leading right to a place where you have AI in the hands, one of the most powerful technologies we're creating in the hands of just a few people who get to make all the rules. And then those become sort of choke points. And what's going to happen in my, in my opinion, that's much worse and much more likely than any of these doomsday scenarios in this other nonsense is that AI becomes your interface to the world. Okay. And 
Francois Cholet said that, right? And I, I always love that phrase where if I can talk to the AI and it can give me a dinner recommendation and then I can say, well, you know, no, I'm not really feeling that. I want it to be meatless or, oh, I'd love to have it be vegan or, oh, I'd really love it to be like steak and potatoes. Like give me some things. So eventually I'm not going to go to that horrible address, you know, laden website of recipes with a giant jump up ad every 15 you know, words, right, that I can't barely read and it's trying to distract me. I'm never going to go there again, right? And so when it becomes our interface to the world, it becomes this thing where you can apply all kinds of pressure from the center, especially with governments or, or nationalist groups or like just, you know, activist groups or whatever who all want the, the sort of true values that they all imagine are universal but are really their own values to be superimposed on that. And eventually it becomes a problem. And, and, you, and you get this ability where these your interface to the world is no longer you going and looking directly for information in a peer-to-peer style or communicating in a peer-to-peer style. You are now being filtered through the AI, and that becomes a powerful chill point that I worry about a great deal. And I believe a lot of these push pressure is leading us towards that kind of regulatory capture, probably unintentionally, but maybe unintentionally on some of the parts and that there's some useful idiots, but probably intentionally on other people's parts who want to make it cost you know, $20 million in regulatory compliance in, in order so that nobody else will be able to compete with them. Do you think open source is an answer or solution to that? You know, I, I'm, I wear my sort of heart on my sleeve of open source. You know, I, I worked in, I worked in it for 20 years. I, you know, I was at Red Hat when there were very small groups of people. I believe building things in an open and transparent way is generally, generally the best way. And there's nothing that angers me more at this point than the kind of open source attacks. Like the IEE magazine just published an article from a, you know, from a doomer on how it's, you know, it's dangerous. Meanwhile, 90% of the world's software runs in open source. Okay. You know, it, like Linux runs all of the cloud. It runs the router in your home. It runs every supercomputer. It runs nuclear submarines. But the problem I think in people's heads is they go, well, if it can be used for something bad at all, We've got to stop. Let me tell you something. Everything can be used for something bad. I can drink water on it, so I can hit you over the head with it. It's made of metal. Okay? Everything is on a continuum of good to bad. If I have a gun, it's probably closer to the side of bad, but I can hunt to feed my family or defend my business, right? If I have a, a lamp, it's closer to the side of good, but I can still hit you over the head with it or get electrocuted with it. So everything can be used for good and bad. Linux runs the entire world, right? It literally runs everything at this point. And yes, it's also used for botnets. And it's used for, you know, malware writing, and it's used for distributed denial of service attacks. Everything can be used for bad things. So for me, I don't buy this scenario. I believe you've got to develop things in an open and transparent way. I believe that you've got to be able to put those things out there so that everybody can look at these and make these things smarter. And I don't buy the idea that we've got to keep it behind the walls where a group of the trusted people, you know, who is, which is always an illusion. If, if you have an environmental regulatory agency that's trusted one year, and then five years later, a politician comes to power who hates environmental regulation and stacks that group with a bunch of people who are against those kind of regulations, that organization is no longer trusted. And you can't, you often, it, the people forget that people change, they die, they retire, whatever. So it, it, an organization being trusted is moving target. Equifax lost half of the data of the people in the United States, half. And, and they're still trusted, by the way. You cannot rip them of the trusted 
people from on high out of the system. So I don't buy this. I, I believe that the best way to have these things are lots of people having control of the technology. Then that creates lots of mitigations. It creates other ways for the AIs to be monitored, to be transparent. I don't believe that the, you know, that the secret cabal of trusted people will protect us from ourselves. Uh, just recently, I mean, like, I think yesterday, Satya Nadella was at Davos. He was talking about that there is a global consensus emerging on AI and AI safety around the world. Do you think it's possible to have some kind of a global consensus on regulation or some kind of guardrails around AI? Global regulation is, is seems like some magical thinking to me. I, I don't know that we've ever been able to all agree every nation on Earth about well, nuclear weapons, maybe atomic energy kind of stuff. Maybe nuclear weapons, which is, I guess, feel, I feel like nuclear weapons is always one that everyone comes up with. And I ask that's the one that everybody does. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> nobody can come up with one on that either. But, but by the way, did it stop, you know, North Korea or whatever from trying to get them to, you know, so again, like very few things, it's very hard to, to reach that global consensus. I also, it reminds me a lot of like Peter Thiel in Zero to One, where he says like, you know, monopolies have to say specific things. Like they have to pretend they're not monopolies. And I think a lot of the, the tech groups in particular, and I think I love the type of tell, God bless him. I think he's, I think he's a genius. I think he's turned Microsoft around. I think it's a much more open company, but I, I take a little bit of quibble with what he's saying there, because I think that what a lot of the tech companies have done is they, they used to be the, the favorite sons of every regulator on the planet. And then they became hated by every, everybody. And so they kind of see an opportunity here. They can go, Hey, wait a minute. I'm going to raise my hand and say, we, we're going to regulate AI. We, we care, you know, and politicians love that. The, the big companies love that because then they get to write the rules that probably basically don't do any of that. So I don't really buy the global consensus. And in fact, every day I see people arguing about this too. So do you think there is a need for industry-specific AI regulations or should it be just across the board? A lot of people argue that it should be industry-specific because what they're saying is what's I mean, you talked about it. What's needed in healthcare is very different than, you know, some somebody just doing something else. I mean, you talked about, you know, the harm level for, let's say, food or health or stuff. Is different. do you think that's uh, required? Yeah, I, th I think it, it's very much sort of industry specific, but you know, even more so, just sort of like use case specific. Right. It, it, to me, like there are certainly industries that we could flag that would say like it makes sense as a whole for this to have you know more regulation again if we're talking about the self-driving cars one is the perfect example for me right because in a lot of these cases when people are talking about creating a new law we actually already have laws on the books to deal with things if somebody goes well what if someone uses ai to create you know to try to steal money from your mom you know they call up sounding like you sanjay with an ai voice or whatever and defraud your mom well it's already illegal to defraud your mom just because they're using a new tool to do it. We, we do have a lot of things on the, the basis to deal with it. But when it comes to cars, for instance, this is an example where we don't, right? Because again, it's always been based on the idea that a human is behind the wheel and there's, there's sort of complicated rules about who hit who, when was the person drinking, these kinds of things. But now if the person never touches the wheel and you get to sort of fully autonomous when maybe they don't even hit the wheel, then obviously it has to change. And it has to, you know, you have to figure out where the blame, you know, relies and there has to be a higher standard there. So I do think that that's the case and it's going to emerge over time. And again, where the true dangerous use cases are and they're going to surprise us. That's the thing. It's like a lot of people think they can predict 
all of the ways it'll be used sort of maliciously and the ways that it will actually be used maliciously because people who are super creative will be very different. And so we'll have to react and it'll probably be very industry specific at that point. So looking ahead, Daniel, what future trends or, you know, advancements in AI technology do you think would necessitate updates or revision to AI legislation in your view? That's very difficult to say. I, I, don't, I, don't, want, I don't want to get too speculative on it because you can easily start getting into EGI and superintelligence and all this stuff. And I guess we'd have to think about it pretty seriously then. I think the more that AI is able to control a specific systems autonomously is where we have to think very you know, carefully about sort of where the sort of blame lies or the harm lies, right? I, th- I think that's important to think about, right? The more that these systems are able to act without any sort of human in the loop or guidance, uh, I think that becomes, uh, you know, very interesting. But mostly where it is, again, with the litmus test of is it going to cause physical harm, damage, financial harm, right? Uh, those kinds of things are the things where I think we have to do it. We have to really sort of look at it. I don't worry too much about super intelligence, right? I have, I don't know what it's going to look like. Nobody else does, no matter what they tell you. Mostly when when we think about that stuff, we've thought about it from science fiction, but all that science fiction was written before it existed. And in the way that it's developing is very different from how we imagined it, our little robot buddy or the evil metal villain who's coming to go crazy, right? So I just think the more autonomous the systems are and when they're being used in a way that could uh, really impact uh, people's political lives, again, I worry about, I worry about, I, I, I worry less about sort of the, even the, t- the, the corporate sort of misuse, which everyone seems to focus on. And I worry about mass surveillance. When you talk about, you know, groups being able to say, great, we're going to monitor all of this sort of ethnic group here at a government level and, and make sure we know where they go with facial recognition, or, you know, we're going to have a, a machine that can make an intel, you know, make a decision on who to kill and who not to kill on, on basis on that. To me, those are things I worry about uh, more than anything else. And I feel like a lot of the other ones sort of take care of themselves over time when you respond in real time to the things that happen. Well, Daniel, finally, and you've written about this, recommendations would you give to policymakers to ensure that AI legislation is not too restrictive, but still, you know, it keeps the innovation going, but still protects the public. Tell us what would you recommend for lawmakers to do? I mean, I, I wrote out my policies in a recent article, and I, I, I sort of reiterated, I want, I want people to focus on real-world problems that exist now and in the near term, not science fiction nonsense, real problems that exist now in, or in the near term. I want people to focus on AI that can kill people today or hurt people today, like self-driving car, law enforcement, surveillance, military systems, high-risk systems need to be held to higher standards. I want them to criminalize illegal uses of the model that are, and not the models themselves. Right? If there's a gray area where something you know can't be, it, we have to think about that kind of thing, it, where we don't already have a law. Yeah, you know, and I want that. I want us to stop focusing on vague and imaginary long-term threats. Nobody knows what that's going to look like. It, it takes into account the fact that we we might not have already other learned anything or had better engineering or other mitigations, people or AIs themselves. So I just don't buy any of that. I forget trying to police the models, the training of them. It's just not going to work and it's only going to get more infeasible. And the people that you want to stop from using it that way are not going to stop. So the rogue nation states and everything are not, but they're going to train up their own models. They don't care. And you've got to protect open source AI 
as the best path to making these things kind of as possible. And you can have the big check firms report on their training methodology, their architectures, parameter carts, you know, the safety concerns that the mitigations they take. I don't, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any problem with more transparency in, in the world. We have too little transparency. So I'd like to see more of it. And I think if we narrow our focus to that, then it's very hard to go wrong and you're going to have very impactful legislation. Whereas if you go in the other direction, try to imagine everything go wrong, you try to imagine all these imaginary harms or risks, 50 groups fighting about, I don't like what this thing said or did, then all of a sudden, I think you end up with the hodgepodge of things that doesn't actually prevent what you want. Well, that's a pretty good summary. Focus on real harm. Don't worry about what could happen in the future. Don't penalize the you know, the folks who are making the models focus on the people who are implementing the models. Those are, you know, interesting suggestions, which we will be passing on because our podcast is listened to by members of Congress, their staff, etc. Daniel, one last point I thought that was going to be that you, you are against watermarking, and that's something that was in the EO, etc. So, we have an election coming up this year, and not just in this country, there are many countries that are going in for election, and the whole issue of fake news, fake videos, and you talked about people who can replicate me, etc. Are there ways to kind of, there's nothing you can stop, as you said, Equifax got hacked, etc., but watermarking was something that people thought could be helpful towards that. Do you have any other suggestions towards uh, how do we protect our democracy? Looking to make the most out of AI advancements and innovation? Visit regulatingai.org to learn more about how best to optimize the use and integration of AI and sign up for the Regulating AI newsletter to keep up to date with the latest in AI governance and regulation. So look, I look at, you know, I have a desire to protect our democracy as well. What I don't like are magical thinking solutions. And a lot of people are great at magical thinking solutions that sound on paper. The problem is you just won't be able to do the watermarking. You can't watermark text. It's impossible. The, the algorithm literally doesn't exist. So that reminds me a lot of when law enforcement was like, well, just put a backdoor in encryption. It's no problem. And the and all the encryption experts were like, well, you can't actually do that. Like the bad guys will use it and it'll leak. And they're like, no, 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 we'll just we want it to happen. Please make up a magical solution to allow it to happen. So I don't, I don't like magical solutions. You know, again, they're also not going to stop the people from training their own model, you know, a, a nation state, which has infinite resources to train it up and use it anyway, right? So I, I think you have to build in better mitigations. I don't know. You know what? I, I don't actually have a great answer of how you actually save our democracy. I just know what won't. And I, and I know this is, by the way, it's not it's not a new problem. Just, I, have a, I have a quote I always say, look, Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini did not need social media to spread propaganda and whip up people with stupid, crazy ideas, okay? So this is, you know, we tend to like focus on the things that we have now, like the new tools. And they had new tools called the radio and other things like that, right? Um, that were very effective in whipping up the crowds, right? So I think the tools can help, you know, can agitate the bad things too. I don't have a great answer, but what I don't like to see are, are ideas that sound really nice. It's a great soundbite. But it's magical thinking it won't actually work. And then what we're left with is we didn't actually solve the problem of protecting democracy, but now everybody's trying to figure out a watermarking solution to like deal with the legislation because I printed up, you know, Howard, you know, a, a duck on mid-journey, right? <laughs> right? But I, so like, but I didn't actually stop, you know, 
a, a fake picture of Biden, you know, or whatever, and that I really want to stop. I think watermarking, though, and I had this talk with Yann LeCun over social media recently when we followed each other. He said, you know, he felt strongly that watermarking of authenticated content, like of content that is real, can work. And I feel so as well. In other words, I think you might have a real chance, and maybe I'm going to reverse my opinion. Maybe I do think I have an answer to this. If I have, you know, a camera and it, it takes an immediate sort of, you know, hash of the image or whatever, maybe it immediately shoots that off to a blockchain. Maybe there's finally a real use for, for blockchain. And I have this kind of authenticated trail of the fact that this was a legitimate image that was sort of taken. That might become necessary for courts and things like that later on. I think watermarking of real content can actually work pretty well, but that it's whack-a-mole trying to authenticate, you know, fake content. I just don't think that it's going to work. Well, that's uh, very, very helpful. Daniel, thanks so much for taking the time and providing your perspective. And that's what we do, many different perspectives. And really, really hope that we can have you here again. Thanks so much for taking the time, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me on. Great uh, great talk, great questions. And I'm, I'm glad you're putting out so many diverse perspectives on this and super important issues. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Regulating AI Innovate Responsibly podcast. You'll find links in the show notes to any resources mentioned on the show. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review.